Turn to 1 Corinthians. We're taking a break from 1 Peter. Hopefully just a one-week break. 1 Corinthians 15. Does anybody know what 1 Corinthians 15 is best known for? It's kind of a long chapter, so summarizing summarizing a book down to one point or summarizing a long chapter down to one point can sometimes be hard. But I think even harder than that is remembering which one is where. First Corinthians happens to be one that I remember pretty easily just because it's a favorite of mine. It is well known for talking about the resurrection. The resurrection. The bodily, physical resurrection from the dead. And not so much Jesus' resurrection that he did after three days, but the the bigger picture, the broader fact, that reality that all will be raised one day. So 1 Corinthians is a letter from the Apostle Paul to a particular church dealing with particular questions and problems, and we're just jumping straight into the middle of it. So we gotta, we got to make sure we understand a little bit about <clears throat> the book where we pick up the letter... Paul has begun to deal with the question of whether or not there is resurrection of the dead. At the time, that was a, uh, a big question, I guess, among the followers of Jesus in the church in Corinth, but it was also a big question among the Jews as a whole because there were two groups of religious leaders, essentially, in competition with one another in in a lot of ways for the hearts of the people, for the beliefs of the people. There were the uh, Pharisees and there were the Sadducees. And the reason that the Sadducees were sad was because they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead, right? Now you kids will all remember that. Basically, the Sadducees didn't believe in anything. They're a lot like the liberal church today. All these things that make the Christian faith, the Christian faith, have been jettisoned. They've been thrown away because they seem too fantastical. They seem too crazy. It's too wild. Who could actually ever believe in the resurrection of the dead? Who could actually ever believe in angels and demons? Who could actually ever believe in calling people to repent of their sins? Who could actually ever believe that it makes a difference whether you obey? So here Paul is, and what is he doing? He's fighting liberalism in the church at Corinth. That's what he's doing. This is not not a new battle that arose in the middle of the 1900s in the United States with fundamentalism and the, the fight against liberalism that had suddenly cropped up for the first time from Germany and 
and made its way into the church in the United States. This is a problem that existed even before Paul had established a church in Corinth. It existed even before Jesus had come to earth in physical form. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were already fighting conservatism and liberalism against each other prior to that. And so now Paul is continuing to deal with some of those liberal ideas. And it's a practical question in that church, but it's also a practical question today. Now, we're obsessed with zombies today. Have you, have you noticed that? And it's getting to be close to Halloween, and so even more than normal, we're obsessed with zombies, right? And it's, it's a question of what the resurrection means. What is resurrection, right? Many people believe in some sort of life after death, right? Some sort of life after death. And what you have, it, it ranges all across the spectrum. You've got uh, belief in ghosts that can haunt us, right? A lot of people believe in ghosts and in hauntings, and that's a that's a... a an example of one type of belief in some sort of life after death, that this this person still exists in some manner that can think and and so forth. But uh, you also have people who believe that life continues on simply through an energy that a life force that flows back into the, the universal life force flow, if you will. Okay. If any of you have watched uh, either the the Disney, the old Disney movie about Pocahontas, or the modern remake, what was that called? All those blue people. I never remember the name of that movie. Avatar. Yeah, that, you know that Avatar was just Pocahontas take two, right? Okay. Both of those are about worshiping nature and the life force of those who die going back into a tree that represents all of that life force. That's, a, that's an idea of what happens that life continues on after death in some way, shape, or form, right? Zombies, of course, are a totally different idea. Life after death, but instead of the, the, uh, that crazy, that, that, that crazy idea of being se- separated from your body but still remaining intelligent, like a ghost, or, uh, being separated from your body and, and, you know, just becoming, becoming the truest form of energy, all right? The zombie, on the other hand, is no brain, no intelligence, and just a crazy raised body. 
All these things show that across the world, across time, you have people struggling with the question, what happens after we die? And, and what is the relationship between the body and the spirit? Right? And so, Paul is dealing with a question that people all over the world continue to deal with today. Many people believe in reincarnation. Another example, right? Reincarnation meaning that <clears throat> your, uh, your spirit, your, your energy, your particular personality even, will come back, but will come back as a new person or as a new dog, I guess, or, or anything, really. And that hopefully you come back as higher and higher sort of being by living better and better during life. Well, Paul is answering that question. And all of chapter 15 is Paul's answer to the question of whether there is a resurrection. So resurrection is a totally different idea from all of those that we just talked about. Resurrection is that you're body will come back to life. That you will receive a new body, but not <clears throat> a reincarnation. It's strange the, the, the ways that so many things get twisted and can seem so close, but so far away. All right? It's not a reincarnation, but a resurrection. We're only going to deal with the first half of the chapter because I want you all to be able to have lunch today. <clears throat> now Paul makes an argument. Paul is very good at making arguments. He's very, very uh, intentional in the arguments that he makes. He's often very logical. He's also often very emotional in his arguments, and that's worth noting. In this particular case, he does combine both the, the, the very clear and simple logic, thankfully in this case it's simple logic, um, along with a very strong emotional argument and appeal. But you've got to pay attention and be willing to think if you want to understand the Bible and benefit from it. So keep the question in mind as we read, is there resurrection from the dead? And does it really matter if there is resurrection from the dead? Let's stand for the reading of God's Word, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 26. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of 
first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach And so you believed. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, We are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Sorry, that thing's driving me crazy. Now, how can you read that and not love Paul? How can you read that and not love reading the Bible? Reading the Bible is not boring. It is encouraging. It is strengthening. It can sometimes be hard. But man, Reading the Bible, it's great, isn't it? Kids, you learn to read. You know why our culture thinks reading is so important? You know why everybody has to go to school in this country? It's so you can learn to read. Do you know why they wanted everybody to learn how to read? It's so that you could read the Bible. Now, A lot of people don't remember that anymore, but that's why. 
That's how important the Bible is. We want everybody to be able to read it. So did you notice the logic? Did you notice the argument that Paul was making? First thing that the Apostle Paul says is, you have already believed in the resurrection. This isn't even a question. You have, If you are a Christian, you have already believed in the resurrection. Why? Well, because that was central to the gospel. He starts with the gospel that he preached to them and reminds them that they believed what he said and therefore they are saved, but only if they believe what he taught them. And what was it that he taught them? He gives a really short, brief summary here in 1 Corinthians of the gospel message, right? There's some that are shorter, but here's this one. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here it is. Verse 3, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. And then he continues on and says, and that he appeared to, and then he begins to list all of the people who are eyewitnesses to the fact that Jesus Christ was physically, bodily raised from the dead. So what he's saying is, Look, this was the message that I preached to you. This was the gospel message. It included this as a central part of it, that the proof of Jesus' death meaning something, accomplishing something, was the fact that he was raised again from the dead. If he was not raised again from the dead, then what? Then what are you believing in? What's the point? Now you fast forward a little bit through this text, you get to verses 11 and 12, and then he reminds us that this good news is exactly what he and the other apostles taught again, and that it was what the Corinthians believed when they became Christians again. So he keeps coming back to this. He wants to remind them, listen, what do you believe? What does it mean to be a Christian? Now for us, I think an awful lot of the time, we're so focused on this life, we're so focused on this day, we're we're so focused on what we want this minute, that we lose track of the eternal reality that we're living in. That we have, as part of our faith, as a central part of our faith, the fact that this life is going to end, but that that's not the end. That's not the end. After that comes the resurrection. So if you live 
forgetting that there is a resurrection from the dead. If you live ignoring that fact, if that fact doesn't come into play in your daily life and thinking about what you should be thinking, what you should be believing, what you should be doing, what you should be feeling, okay, if it doesn't inform your feelings, then Paul is saying, what exactly have you believed in? Are you actually a Christian or not? Have you believed this or have you believed in vain? Because to not believe that there is a resurrection from the dead is to make the faith empty. It's to make it vain. It's to make it pointless, meaningless. That's what vain means. Now, our nation is very vain. We are always looking in the mirror. And I remember when I was a little boy and I was looking at myself in the mirror and my dad said to me, don't be vain. Don't be vain. And I had no idea what he was talking about. But it was clear he was disgusted with me for looking at myself in the mirror. And that made an impression on me. And you ought, to, you ought to remember that for yourself. Don't spend time looking in the mirror. Don't be vain. Now, why would the word vain mean so much? Why would I try to make a point about looking in the mirror when we're talking about the resurrection? Let's put it that way. Because... What Paul is saying is that this life, he's, he's, he's saying that this life is not the most important thing. This life that we live here and now is entirely empty if we are not remembering, if we are not believing that Christ is raised and that we will be raised. In other words, when I say that we are vain as a nation, and I mean that we are, we are obsessed with appearances, that we like to look in the mirror, that we're worried about what we look like in this earthly body, right? What I'm saying is that we have forgotten that there is coming, death, and after that, the resurrection and the judgment. And I told you, I think it was last week, that we'd be talking about that this week, but then we, then we got a guest preacher, and then he got sick, and then we're back to me not preaching on that. And yet, here we are, we're talking about the fact that there's going to be a judgment. We're talking about the fact that there is a resurrection, and here it is in 1 Corinthians, and we'll hit more on the judgment aspect of it, next week, Lord willing. But, <clears throat> Paul is saying, look, your faith must not be vain. So, if I say, you must not be vain, don't spend time worrying about your appearances, don't spend time worrying about 
this life in a way that forgets that there is a life to come. All right? If I say that to you, I'm really only saying the same thing that Paul is saying to the church in Corinth when he says, don't let your faith be worthless. Don't let your faith be vain. For your faith to be vain, in this context, he's saying is to forget or to not believe that the resurrection is happening. He says that will make your faith be in vain. That will make my work of proclaiming the gospel to you have been in vain. That, that is to make us pitiable, right? And what does that look like? It looks like then thinking, this life is all there is. I better live it to the fullest. That's what leads directly to the vanity that I'm saying, don't be that way. Everybody suddenly looked over there. Annabelle, go sit down. Paul doesn't want our faith to be in vain. He doesn't want us to forget about the resurrection. When we forget about the resurrection, that's when we become obsessed with not growing old. That's when we become obsessed with not getting ugly. That's when we become obsessed with trying to forget the fact that we're going to die one day. But what the Bible says is, it's better to be in the house of mourning. It's better to be reminded that you're going to die. As a matter of fact, Lord, teach me to number my days. Teach me, remind me that I'm going to die one day. So that I will live appropriately. Now, there's two ways when you realize that you're going to die one day of living appropriately. Okay? It all depends on whether there's a resurrection that comes after that death. So Ecclesiastes is full of thinking about what it means, what it, what it looks like to live appropriately, recognizing that death is coming. An awful lot of Ecclesiastes is all just dealing with that question. How should I live when I know that death is coming, if you've, ever <clears throat> if you've ever watched the movie, What About Bob? There's a scene in there where this little kid is obsessed with the fact that death exists, right? You could call him emotionally disturbed. Uh, but he's not crazy. He says, I'm going to die. You're going to die. What difference does it make if it's tomorrow or in 70 years? A little bit less in your case. Now, what he's saying is, death is a big deal. That changes everything. And so what our culture wants to do is it wants to live forgetting that death is coming, but mostly what our culture wants to do is to live forgetting that the resurrection is coming, knowing that death is coming. And that's what the zombies are all about. 
reminding us death is coming. And hopefully, we won't be alive after we're alive again. Hopefully, we won't be conscious. Hopefully, we won't have any memory. Hopefully, it'll just be a crazy body. Or maybe our spirit, but we won't have to worry about what we've done. Certainly, we don't want, in our culture, for there to be reincarnation. Like, for there to be consequences? For us to maybe end up as a dog instead of as a better human? Yikes. Or as a cockroach, if you're really nasty? Okay, so so here we've got Paul. He's saying, look, there is a coming death, but more than that, there is a coming resurrection. So the question is, how should you live if there is a coming death? And the answer is, well, that depends. Is there also a coming resurrection or not? Because if there is not also a coming resurrection, then eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. If there is not also a coming resurrection, then live it up. If there is not also a coming resurrection, have fun while the fun is available. You get, I mean, there, there's a million ways to put it. The point is, you better make use of this life and enjoy it to its fullest. Carpe diem. Seize the day and enjoy it <laughs> to its fullest. But if there's a resurrection, that changes everything. If there is a resurrection, then you better live in a way that matches with that fact. Now, what does it mean to live believing that? What does it look like to live believing that? Well, <clears throat> look at what he says in, verse, in verses 20 through 26. He talks about death. Death came by a man. Kids, who was that man? Adam, that's right. Death came by a man. And so everybody dies. And then he begins to talk about how we will be made alive. And that we'll be made alive also through a man. The second Adam, he's called elsewhere. Jesus, that's right. Jesus will make us alive the same way that Adam makes us die. And so, as he proceeds, he then begins to talk about what comes after. And what a beautiful, beautiful thing to read about. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. 
For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. Now, let's. There's there's a lot of places that you can go that you begin to realize Paul is making very clear, careful, logical arguments. One of them is right here. If the last enemy to be abolished is death, right? Then death is going to be abolished, right? And if death is going to be abolished, it's going to, he's going to have victory over death, but you don't believe in the resurrection, then what exactly would abolishing death accomplish? Well, it would mean that only people who happened to be alive when Jesus Christ returns get any of the benefit. That would be sad, wouldn't it? And of course, nobody believes that. And that's part of Paul's point. He's saying, you don't believe this. There's so many reasons that I can show you that it's impossible for you to believe this. If you have any faith in the gospel, you can't believe that there's no resurrection. It's crazy for there not to be a resurrection. If there is no resurrection, there is no point to Christianity. If there is no resurrection, there is no point to Christianity. So here you, you think about the, what I said, that there's, there's really two ways to live knowing that death is coming. I was saying that it makes sense to seize the day and, and live, live it up. Enjoy life while you can if there is no resurrection after the death. If, if life just ends and that's it, then make sure you get as much as you can out of this life. As much enjoyment, as much pleasure. What do you want? Go for it. But Paul actually flips that same thing around and he says, okay, if that's logical to live that way, if there's no resurrection, let's think about what that means for Christians. What does it mean for Christians? People who are giving up this world and all it contains, people who have left houses and farms and family and jobs and pleasure and many other good things for the sake of the gospel because they believe in Jesus Christ, but there's no resurrection? Paul says, what a bunch of idiots. If there's no resurrection, we are of all men most to be pitied. How could we be so stupid as to live as though there's a resurrection when there's not a resurrection? There being a resurrection or not changes everything. If there is no resurrection, then you shouldn't Give up everything good that this life has to offer. That's all there is. Get it while the getting's good. 
But if there's a resurrection, then everybody who lives for this world are the most to be pitied. You see, this is the dichotomy that we live in and that we don't want to see. We want there to be shades of gray in this area because it's such an intense difference. There are those who are living for the resurrection. And there are those who are living for now. Either you are living for now or you are living for the resurrection. There is no in-between. You can't split the difference. You have to live a totally different way depending on whether there's a resurrection or not. Everything about your life changes if there's a resurrection or if there's not a resurrection. So do you believe there is a resurrection? If you believe there is a resurrection, you must live as though you will be raised. You must live as though Christ has been raised. This is why Paul takes something that on its face feels like, oh, it, you know, it doesn't matter that much. I mean, we know we all believe in Jesus here, right? We all believe in Jesus, and so, you know, the details of what exactly happens after we die, you know, that's just details. And Paul all of a sudden comes in with a sledgehammer and he's like, no, it's the gospel. It is the gospel. You can't have it be adiaphora. You can't have it be something that doesn't matter. You can't have it be a secondary or tertiary issue. It is the gospel. Is there resurrection or is there not a resurrection? Either Christ is the first fruits and you will come along behind him as part of his train, as part of his brotherhood, as part of his family, as part of his victory, as part of his kingdom. You'll be raised, you'll be with him. Or there is no resurrection, in which case there is no Christ anymore. He died, was buried, the end. There is no gospel. In which case, by the way, Paul is a liar. Peter is a liar. All the rest of the apostles are liars. All those 500 other people are liars. I'm a liar. The Bible is a lie. You understand? Either Christ is raised or our faith is meaningless. Either we are raised or our faith is meaningless. Now, if you, if you pay attention, you realize this means that Paul is positing 
arguing the necessity of a physical man and a physical resurrection to defeat physical death. He's not talking about a metaphor here. Okay? Now I don't have time to I don't have time to go into this deeply, but I want you to realize that there are many people who will try to make these things into metaphors. That you know when when death entered the world, it just means that really sin entered the world and that we became uh, troubled and we became we began to have problems as people. Okay? This is just another place where we begin to where we see that there was really a man named Adam. This is just another place where we, we see that we cannot simply spiritualize all of these things. That's precisely what the Sadducees were trying to do with the idea of a resurrection. Just spiritualize it away. And Paul is completely unwilling for us to make these physical realities into purely spiritual ideas. Christ is going to defeat sin. Christ is going to defeat all of his enemies. And death is actually an enemy. Death is not something that we are supposed to embrace as a natural part of life. And our culture is trying to do everything it can to forget that death is an enemy. Abortion is a denial that death is an enemy. Euthanasia is a denial that death is an enemy. Yes, it's also murder. Yes, it's also an attack on the image of God in man. It's many other things as well. It's wicked in many ways, but one of the ways is simply the denial that death is an enemy. So if Christ didn't rise again out of the grave, what are we all doing here? That's what Paul's asking. What are we all doing here? And what I would say is, if you live six days out of seven as though there is no resurrection, as though there is no life after this one, as though you have to get right now what you want, because that's all there is. Either I'm getting what I want or I'm not getting what I want out of this life, right? If you live six days out of seven as though what matters is whether I'm getting what I want right now, all right, then what in the world are you calling yourself a Christian for? Death must be defeated. 
if you believe that Jesus Christ is alive, if you believe that he will defeat death, then you know what else you get to believe in? You get to believe in the fact that he then sent his Holy Spirit. And you get to believe in sanctification. You get to. But you only get to believe in sanctification. You only get the help of beginning to live a holy life if Jesus Christ is alive. You see how it ties into how you live your day-to-day life? Either you're giving yourself to vanity, or you're giving yourself, body and soul, to Jesus Christ. That's why we worship him. Because we are his, bought with a price. There's no way to read this chapter without rejoicing. Rejoicing. There is hope. Because Jesus Christ is alive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, put the enemies of Jesus Christ under his feet. Father, make him victorious. Father, we look forward to the day when death is finally abolished. Father, bring us safely through the valley of the shadow of death into your kingdom. Raise us again on that day, Father to newness of life in Jesus Christ. And Father, we beg that you would help us to live right now, today, tomorrow, and for the years to come, remembering that there is a resurrection, that this life is not all that there is. And so, Father, We don't need to gain all of the world. We need to gain Christ. Help us to believe that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.